Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was bluer than a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. That arcade was Jeez. my church. All right, how about now? Yeah. Okay, cool. How's the audio? Good. Good? Excellent. All right. So I got this is I'm just uh playing around with that Yeti mic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What kind? Uh ba ba was whatever the dude at Micro Center. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Let me check over here. Uh Yeti Blackout. Yeah, that's the one. I used that very mic for a long time. Awesome. Uh, I only upgraded uh at the end of last year. So what's the uh what's the the next level up from that? You know, honestly, the next one I did was a sure microphone with a actual instrument cable, so I moved away from USB. Mm-hmm. And uh the difference is not it, it's probably not worth the money, honestly. <laughs> like the the good USB mics are very good now. Okay. So let's do it. Let's do it. Thanks by the way for indulging me, dude. Oh, are you kidding? Thank you for uh, doing this again, this this little thing we do. <laughs> Needless to say, we've got a lot to talk about. This is going to be interesting because we came from drastically different forms of entertainment before we got on the phone. I've been watching comedy specials all afternoon, and you just watched the Aaron Hernandez documentary. Yeah, this is fascinating. I still have the uh, still frame up on the screen stopped at... 24 minutes, 10 seconds of episode three, Killer Inside, The Mind of Aaron Hernandez. Highly recommended. Really fascinating, brutal stuff. A lot of stuff that I, I mean, I'm not a football fan, so I didn't really know much about him in the first place, but there's a lot of meat on the bone in this. Mm. I uh, I didn't know they were working on that, and I was surprised to see it, but yeah, I'm sure that's all people are going to be talking about for a few days. I actually, yeah, I picked it up because I saw that it was like, it was the number one trending topic on Twitter. I was like, okay, what's this thing? It like Aaron Hernandez was trending. I was like, I I thought he wasn't around anymore. Oh, oh, okay. There's this whole series. So yeah, no, definitely check it out. It's uh, it's kind of subtle too. I mean, I I'm also coming from Surviving R. Kelly, which is uh, oh, which yeah. is too, and very compelling. But that one was more like R. Kelly's this. R. Kelly's more obviously painted as like this very bad person versus this, where it's kind of like. Who is this guy? Like, they don't really get him. Whereas R. Kelly, I think they get him more in Surviving R. Kelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, boy, history is probably not going to look too fondly upon that guy. No, <laughs> I just no, got a feeling. Not. Yeah. God, are you talking about R. Kelly or Aaron Hernandez? Because either R. Kelly, way. Like, Aaron Hernandez was sort of a victim of different circumstances. Not that it really excuses uh, too much behavior, but he had a lot stacked against him. And uh, seems like R. Kelly is just maybe a little bit more of an asshole. Yeah, no, R. Kelly is R. Kelly is a strange guy, and R. Kelly also had so many, many, many years of potentially redeeming himself that like that it never happened. Right. It was really strange. It's like all those opportunities, and then the fact that he still does stuff like that is definitely some kind of compulsion. Oh, and yeah. that that video of him sort of blowing up during that interview—he scared the hell out of me. I, oh, God. I was nowhere near that guy. I was like, yeah. oh God, look at yeah. him. <laughs> It's gonna um, hit that lady. <laughs> I heard a, um, I heard this. What was it? It was a TMZ article, I think. This was right when the Surviving R. Kelly doc was coming out. Um, when that whole series was out, it said something about how he was, like, he was trying to do a show in Chicago, and nobody wanted to book him. Or I forget the details of it, but it sounds like he was. He had big plans to do some big shows that they, they fell through, and then he was doing it at some tiny ass nightclub, and nobody showed up. Oh. It's just what a what a fall from grace, man. He was on the Space Jam soundtrack. Like, <laughs> that's wow, true. how open. Yeah, we, that's so funny you say that. We pulled the sheet music for that song out of my wife's piano bench recently. <laughs> oh my! God. With, oh my God! Um, it actually had Jordan's face on it and probably Bugs Bunny, but certainly R. Kelly in big letters, you know. And I'm like, okay, well, this isn't great anymore. Wow. <laughs> I bet there's people out there that have R. Kelly tattoos. There has to be. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I bet you're right. There's got to be. I'm sure. Like, I'm not sure there's Aaron Hernandez tattoos because he wasn't like, the same level of stature as R. Kelly in terms of like a big figure. But 
you know there's R. Kelly tattoos out there. I'm probably going to be Googling R. Kelly tattoos after this. <laughs> yeah, first to go. A lot yeah. of hidden tattoos of R. Kelly, yeah. Yes, yeah, God. <laughs> I don't know, even know how you could cover up a, a, an R. Kelly tattoo. Like, what can you do with that? <laughs> I don't um, turn it into a different character or something? Yeah, that, come yeah. Come up well, with a different on. name? Like, yes, um, yeah. I can't, what's a good name that ends in R? <laughs> Man. Um, Jennifer Kelly. Jennifer Kelly yeah. tattoos are going to be in, in style. Jennifer Kelly. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Jennifer Kelly. Victor Kelly. Yes. Victor Kelly. Brother, his, his brother, who's very uh, much, much more boring. Yeah. Victor Kelly, you know, works as an actuary somewhere. Yeah. So don't yeah. fall for that if you see it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was R. Kelly. So uh, before we get into uh, actual content, for goodness sake, um, who do you like in this uh, fight between McGregor and uh, Cerrone coming up? Man, I think I think McGregor is going to make the comeback. I feel like Cerrone is just kind of he's cool. He's just chilling. You know, he's going to uh, he's going in to do his business, but. He's kind of like, eh, whereas McGregor, I feel like, has much more to lose. Yeah. Rooney would become like an overnight superstar. I mean, he's still he's famous for MMA fans like you and me, but like, but for random people out there, like, they, they would have, they they'll probably hear of him the same way that they heard of Amanda Nunes after yeah. the Ronda Rousey thing, at least to whatever degree that she did become more famous. But I think it's going to be McGregor. What about you? Cerrone to me is as close to a human Wolverine as I think we have because like he's like in the beginning of the movie when he's cage fighting like every single night and he's the local that everybody bets on you know he's he takes so many fights and he does so much and he now he's just this sort of you know I'm, I'm here and I'm doing it and this is my career and this is my life this is all I know but uh his mindset concerns me a little bit from what I've seen in interviews nobody knows what's really going on but uh Watching that face-off with McGregor, McGregor has never been this focused on anything in his entire life. He he looked 100%. There was none of the shenanigans. He, he got into my head. If it's a trick, I mean, he's got me fooled. He looks focused AF. Yeah. I think maybe McGregor takes this one. And uh, honestly, I don't know if maybe we hear some kind of... Uh, Retirement news for a cowboy sometime soon, something like that. Maybe this is a big thank you fight from the UFC. Uh, he deserves it. It's got to be, man. Yeah, the McGregor one is huge. I mean, no matter like what's going on with his life, you know, all the stuff that he's been up to, all the, like the God, that whole bar thing was just crazy. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, oh my God, some dude's just refusing a shot of whiskey. It was like, is this really worth it? This, this is, you know. I'm still looking, by the way, at this text that says the mind of Aaron Hernandez. And I'm thinking <laughs> Aaron Hernandez, this guy who had a screw loose, who went, who took things way too far. Uh, part of this documentary, by the way, involves somebody uh, spilling a drink on him. So he goes after them and they fires off some shots. I'm not going to spoil the documentary, but it's pretty uh, it's pretty bad. And it reminds yeah. me of McGregor. Yeah. Some guy won't, um, won't drink your booze. Yeah, just fight him. Fight that old dude. Fight that middle-aged dude. <laughs> He's uh, looked a little older, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, what a what a strange circumstance. It was really weird to hear him not tr- talk a lot of trash. I was expecting something like give us like one classic McGregor line, but afterwards I was kind of like, this is kind of fun. This is different. You know what I mean? It's like we t- took a break from the kind of asshole Conor McGregor, which I have a soft spot for at times, but at the same time, though, it's like okay, this is very very extra. Yeah, I'm I'm very love hate with McGregor. I think that this is going to be a more fun fight because of the vibe. I think these are two guys who respect each other, and uh, there's there's really no bad outcome for me. Uh, if yeah. if McGregor has this kind of focus coming back and wins his way back in, fantastic. Uh, if not, what a huge victory it'll be for Cowboy. I got I got no problem with anything. Absolutely. So who do you think McGregor's going to face next if he wins? Oh man, <laughs> that's a very good question. What, what say you? Uh, man, I really want to be Mosfidal. Just because I think Mosfidal is another I guy. I almost said that, yeah. Yeah, he's a. He, I mean, in some ways, he's like a. He's very cowboy-like. Did they ever fight? Was there ever a Mosfidal cowboy fight? Because that seems like they'd be very, very similar. Uh, I thought I thought they did at some time. They probably they probably did, and, and I was that was probably before I, I really got into into MMA. But I yeah, normally stop to look stuff up. But I'm curious about this. Yeah, that would be that'd be a good one. Um, but yeah, I think like Masvidal would be really interesting with McGregor, especially because he's kind of got like a pseudo Conor McGregor thing going on right now. Not in the way that he's a copycat at all, 
but more yeah. the way that he's got a lot of momentum behind him and hype behind him. He's kind of like where McGregor was before, you know, McGregor had to have like lots of, you know, all this buildup and Masvidal is kind of still in that buildup stage. Like that, uh, the Ben Askren knockout reminded me a lot of the uh, Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor knockout. Yeah. 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 I, it's what I thought. Uh, that was one of Cowboys losses. Okay. One of his very few defeats. Damn, that sounds like it'd be really good on paper, but I don't know what it's, at, what it's actually like. Yeah, so uh, plenty of possibilities after that, but yeah, that'd yeah. be a good one. Yeah. What about you? So, okay, so all right, now I'm asking again, what do you think? Who, who's going to be? You know what? I think I take McGregor on this one. Okay. Um, now, either one of these guys have, as they say, a puncher's chance. A, a stray shot could put down either one of these guys very easily. But uh, it's it's either going to be a wild shot for McGregor or a long drawn out brutal fight. I, I can't really tell which one it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be one of these things where they both get tired and somebody ekes out, uh, you know, a chokehold or something. I think it's going to be a, just a slug fest. Yeah, man. You got me really excited about it now. Talking about <laughs> it. Yeah. At least, I, you know what? I'm, I'm going with McGregor too, but I if nothing else. I just hope there isn't like a bad finish. Cause I've seen a lot of bad finishes lately. Like, in MMA, there was that um, – what was it? There was the Jeremy Stevens fight. Did you watch that one, the Yair Rodriguez-Jeremy Stevens one? No. Where it ended in like 15 seconds because Jeremy Stevens' eye was hurt. It was like oh, yeah. it was like 15, 20 seconds. And Yair Rodriguez, I think it was in Mexico, and he's from Mexico. And he was very disappointed with the fact that he didn't get to fight. He didn't get to do, get to do anything, release all that energy, all that excitement. And it was really awkward. And the same kind of thing happened with that uh, Nate Diaz, uh, Jorge Masvidal fight. Yeah, yeah. They wanted um, to keep that yeah. going and didn't get to. Yeah. That was really disappointing. I mean, I get it. In the, you know, in the, the, the rational part of me gets it. But the part of me that's like wants a really good story told and wants a good ending was like, God damn it. Like, you could do more than that. Well, we grew up with pro wrestling and they would never stand for this. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Although in pro wrestling, I got to say, I'm not really watching WWE nowadays, but there, I heard there was this terrible Bray Wyatt Hell in the Cell ending. Did you hear about this? No, I don't follow it so much anymore. I was a big fan earlier on, but now this like this stuff with like, this guy's a monster man and I'll, I can't get into it anymore. Yeah, no, I feel you. <laughs> but all right, so Bray Wyatt, this guy who's a monster man, he, um, <laughs> he was in a Hell in a Cell match. All right, all you need to know is that he was in a Hell in a Cell match and it ended with a disqualification. And people were like, isn't the whole point of this that it's supposed to be so brutal that you absolutely have to finish it? You have to have some kind of big crazy ending? There was right. some crazy stuff that happened, but it ended with a disqualification, and it was very, uh, very poorly received. I'll bet. Yeah. We what also didn't have Twitter when I was following it, and that's been fun to watch. <laughs> that is true also, yeah. I don't know how I feel about the internet shaping things that I like versus back when I just knew about them. Like in my head, like video games are much more innocent than the way I see it on Twitter. It feels like things are life or death. Like this whole uh, smash thing that's happening right now. Oh, people, God. <laughs> God, I felt, I feel, I feel pretty bad for these people. I mean, it's like, it's kind of funny, but it's like, God, these people were really getting ahead of themselves. That's why you can't ever trust the speculation. Right. Right. I have Smash. I like Smash. I could not have cared any less about this. <laughs> so you just caught up with it after the fact as people are mourning and just raging and just confused. Like, I, yeah, I jumped on super late. A lot of the people who are available as fighters were already there when I got on. Um, it doesn't bother me who does or doesn't show up in this game now. <laughs> it's just if you spent all your time on it. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. I, I get it. It would be upsetting. But at the end of the day, you know, they can't do everything everybody wants. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's a reality. And then the thing is that, you know, they do what they do. Like, and the people, they know that people are going to be into it. Even if they're upset right now for five minutes, they're still yeah. going to, you know, it's not like support for Nintendo is going anywhere. So they're always protecting their best interests. That said, though, man, people are really hyping themselves up for Dante. So it must have been strange. Just being, <laughs> yeah, Fire Emblem characters. I'm not a Fire Emblem guy. So I'm, I'm not so far. I haven't tried it. Yeah. So. But uh, what a world where, yeah, you wake up early in the morning. I'm going to see. One of my favorite video game characters joined one of my favorite video game franchises, and it's not that person at all. And then, yeah, <laughs> and 
You did all you did all that effort for nothing. Right. So yeah. sorry okay. everybody. Yeah. Our condolences. <laughs> well, uh surely that's enough of the uh weekly news. That, yeah. I, I don't get to do this with anybody, so that was thank you for indulging me on that. Of course. No, 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 thank you. It's kind of fun to talk about this. Because you know, I spent so much time reading about it, but not so much actually talking to another person about stuff like this. That's I feel like that's the trap I fall into also. I feel like I need to have my finger on the pulse of these things. But when it comes down to it, like if I can't get someone directly involved, I feel like I don't really get to talk about it. So this is right. nice. it's not the same thing. So, yeah, well, you're very welcome. We can uh, we'll talk again after this uh, after the ending of this McGregor Cerrone fight, which I hope as you know, as you run this, that we would have been so excited and happy and pleased afterward. Um, I'm just yeah. hoping the future us is. But I guess we'll find out on a Saturday. Yeah, and like you said, if it's not just a bad stoppage or something, I'll be, I'll be you know, ecstatic. It'll be great. Yeah. Just so. as long as yeah, you, you wait, you wait and see. There's going to be some kind of fuck finish. It's going to be like, oh god damn it, what? <laughs> yeah, somebody slipped. Oh god. And cowboy retires anyway. Like yeah, and then yeah, cowboy retires, and it's like <laughs> real awkward. And yeah, they do a lot of things where you know they're trying to give each other, let each other talk, but neither of them actually want to talk first. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's man. This Awkward, is like, yeah. You guys are supposed to, to, you know, beat the tar out of each other for our entertainment. And here you are like complimenting each other. But I guess it must be, but must be nice to be at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Life is good when you're king. Yeah. Kings. Yeah. So uh, speaking of the top, we've got plenty to talk about since you were last on the show, because your book NBA jam from boss fight books is out in the wild. It had a spectacular release, if if not uh, a little tumultuous. But uh, man, how how are you feeling with the book out? How you indulge me, dude? I appreciate that. Thank you. I feel good. It feels strange. You know, it was four years ago uh, when I started work on this. Now four and a half. Um, when did you and I last talk? Was that mid twenty nineteen? Early twenty. It was. It was early to mid. Yeah. Early to mid, yeah. So at that point, I was still real deep into it. I knew that I could finish it. I knew that this could be a thing, but it's it's pretty weird having it live outside of my head because I was on it for so long. But it feels really good at the same time, though, to have that off of my shoulders. Is like, at least I don't have to go back home and do that. Like, at least I don't have to work in that damn NBA Jam book. So that yeah. part feels really good. Um, yeah, no, it's been amazing, dude. The the reception has been incredible. People have sent me all kinds of amazing messages. I mean. And one day I was talking to people who are interested in the book, you know, somebody from Argentina, somebody from New Zealand, somebody from England, somebody from Canada. And then, of course, somebody from the States, I'm sure. And I was like, wow, this is just a couple of days ago. Like this had that much of an effect globally, this game that, you know, that some of that's going to translate to the book. So I'm feeling really good about that. Uh, Life of the day job, not so hot, which means that this is a really nice escape for me. So when I come back home and after like I have my dinner and whatnot or, you know, take a shower I feel great. I get back in the world of living, uh, in the, yeah, of living in a world where NBA Jam the book is real. So no, I'm feeling pretty good about it, man. I'm reminded of uh, Ken Jeong describing when he first got his big acting break, but he still kind of had to go back to his doctor job the next day, and <laughs> how, how that felt. Like I'm sure, I'm sure almost nothing could have felt that good during the day job right now. Now that you've got this going on for yourself, absolutely not. No, no, in my day job. Uh, has had some ups and downs too. So yeah, no, it's it's very weird. I mean, the 22nd, October 22nd, the day the book came out was amazing. I took uh, the day off from work and I had all these plans of these things I was going to do, but most of the day was just spent responding to messages and calling a couple of people up, but mostly spent online, um, yeah, saying thank you to people and trying to do things to promote the book and stuff like that. And it was weird. It was like one of the, the best days of my life was spent mostly alone. Uh, in some ways, but then it was also spent with a ton of people because I was interacting so much with people. Thinking about it being out now at this point is a little strange. When I go back to my day job where these guys mess up my name, they call me <laughs> Ryan, they like push me around. So there's lots of ups and downs over there. This is also my life. They're both part of the same life. So it's uh, it's pretty weird. It does. It must feel weird. I, I <laughs> It's strange, but everybody at my work has been super supportive. Several coworkers have bought the book. The, here's a crazy thing that just happened the other day. So I had a coworker in my office who I don't talk to very much. Like I talked to him like I've been at my job for five years now, over five years. 
this guy I only ever see across the office, but I only ever I see across the office all the time, but I only ever talk to him once in a blue moon, like literally three or four times in the three or four years we both worked there together. Anyways, he um, stops me one day when I'm on, walking into the break room and he says, hey, I just listened to this podcast and the podcast I listened to was No Dunks, which is from the starters, a bunch of guys who, yeah, used to have a podcast at NBA.com. Yeah. And the host of that show uh, talked about the book on an episode. And this guy, this my coworker is a sports guy. So I heard this on this basketball podcast. He, said, he stops and says, yeah, I heard about them talking about your book on this podcast. And he's like, I bet a bunch of people reached out to you. Well, only I only ever heard from like one or two other people. But it was like, wow, like this has had that much of a reach that it's ended up on this podcast where this coworker of mine who has no connection to the video game world is hearing about it. So that was very cool and very surreal. Like this guy I never talked to was like, Hey, I heard about your book. Um, <laughs> completely different environment. So that was super gratifying. Very strange though. You know, it's just one of those guys you don't ever talk to and they just stopped to say this one thing to me. And um, <laughs> it was pretty weird. It seems like one good way to judge how this is doing is through stories like that. And it, it got me thinking, this has to be a hard book to track performance for just because, you know, Boss Fight, I, I'm sure they strive to sell as many of their own books as they can through the website. So, I mean, are you able to get a good sense of really how it's doing? Sort of. I know that it's doing <laughs> well. Um, the, the unfortunate thing is that I don't have any kind of dashboard or anything like that immediately yeah. available. So my publisher, like I'll, I'll ask him for sales figures and things like that. Hey, how's the book doing? And he'll give me kind of general updates, nothing really specifically, uh, until I like a really ask or like, you know, he's prepped for it or he's got a chance to take a look at the numbers. As far as I know, it's doing well, um, which is great. And my ultimate goal is pretty lofty. So hopefully I'm going to hit that goal. If I want to sell about my goal, ultimately is I something like say I definitely want to crack ten thousand minimum sure. uh, copies sold. So still a long ways to go to get there, uh, but then I want to go even higher than that. So it's tough to tell about these indie books as to what's success, what isn't versus what isn't success because yeah. it's, you know it's a small world. You know, obviously working with limited budgets, marketing budgets, of course, are not aren't even a drop in the bucket compared to uh, the real world or the you know. Big publishing, sure. When you're an indie book, so there's all these factors that come into it, and I'm like, I don't know how much people are buying or when they're buying. As far as I know, though, it's doing good, and the response has been really great. So it's it's super cool having it out there and it being an actual thing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I Boss Fight has very kindly sort of brought me into their uh, promotional circle, and I, I get to hear different uh, tidbits here and there. Someone at some point said that it wasn't impossible that you might at some point get to spot the book out in the wild, maybe on a retail shelf here or there. Uh, have you heard anything like that? Man, that's a good question. I haven't heard anybody uh, spot it out in the wild yet on a shelf. I know a bunch of people, this isn't uh, finding in the wild by any means because they specifically asked for it, hmm. but several people got it for Christmas presents and that was super cool. I was like, wow, I didn't really think about this when I was originally developing the book that this would be a Christmas present. But I know several, or at least I saw s several people who tweeted at me uh, who mentioned that they got it as a Christmas present, which was neat. So that's then uh, keep in mind that's specifically asking for one gift and getting it from there. So yeah. I haven't heard anybody find it out in the wild yet, but I know it's out there somewhere. I was just over at Magfest in National Harbor, Maryland. I was hoping that there would be some kind of booth somewhere that had boss fight books for sale. And my book would be there. And I just hope, God, you know, you make up these fantasies. <laughs> I, you know, I'd go over there. I'd say, Oh, you know, how's this book doing? And they'd be like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's okay. Or it's sold or whatever. And he'd be like, Oh, you know, cause I wrote it. And then I'd show them my, you know, my ID <laughs> card and they'd be psyched and everything. I'd sign some copies and I'd walk away. I, this whole thing, nobody was selling boss by <laughs> book. So I didn't get to live that fantasy, but maybe next time, you know what you owe to yourself you should have gone and found someone buying some other book, <laughs> approached that person and said, I see you're uh, interested in this, in this book. Can I see it for, for, for a moment? And they hand it to you and you just autograph it and just walk away. God, I love that. That would be something to think about. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. No, but yeah, at MAGFest, man, I, I gave this con or I gave this little talk. What was it called? It was called Inside the Making of NBA Jam, uh, Blue Screens, Burger King and Boom Shakalaka. <laughs> and it was it was pretty fun. It was about 45 uh, minutes of presentation and 15 minutes of questions or 40 minutes of presentation, 15 minutes of questions um, or 20 minutes of questions. It was uh, and 
about 50 people showed up to this thing overall. Like nice. it was a packed house. It was great. And it was a little weird to think that like I used to go to MAGFest as a fan and always say to myself like when this book's actually out, when this is a real thing, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to be doing a panel myself. And then to actually be doing it was was pretty surreal. So yeah, I visited MAGFest as a fan in 2016 and 17. And then when I returned in 2020, I was doing a panel. So that was super cool. But I talked to all these people afterward and I did another panel with some other uh, great people who are in the video game history business. I'm not sure if it's a business, but the video game history space. But yeah, I know it was, uh, the reception was really good. And it was very heartening to be like, oh, wow, you know, people really do care about this project or they really do care about the history of Midway and of NBA Jam. There's so much stuff over there that I feel like I could just have kept going. I mean, 40 minutes was really tough for me, actually. I had to cut some stuff. But I guess maybe I'm long-winded with things like that. When I'm really into it, I could just go on talking forever about it. I was going to ask you about that either way because uh, I was excited to see that you were getting to present very quickly after the book came out. And that's well within the realm of possibility for most people listening to this podcast because they're creators. They're working on you know various different things, art, games. Um, I know some podcasters who listen. So I would say any of those folks could find themselves in that position. So I mean, like, how did you get ready? What did you feel prepared? Uh, how was the experience itself? Yeah, I actually kept, uh, I kept working on it until I'd say, was it the night before or something like that? I think it was, I stopped working on the presentation at about 4am the night before. Oh, now yeah. my MAGFest body schedule is very different from my everyday body schedule. So right now, as we're talking, it is 9.46 in Ohio, and it is 8.46 where you are. And yeah. you know, I'm probably by 1 o'clock, I'm just, you know, I'm definitely asleep. <laughs> uh, by, by midnight, that's probably, I'm kind of a night owl, but that's when I'm going to be winding down because I have to go to work the next day. Yeah. But on MAGFest time, I was wide awake at 4 in the morning working on this presentation. Oh. Um, no, it was great. So the way it happened for me was I posted about it on Twitter once. I said, hey – it, you know, does anybody know when MAGFest uh, panelists, uh, like, you know, whenever those submissions, uh, when that's going to be open, what's a good, pe- what's going to be that period? And then uh, somebody named uh, Phil Salvador, who works for MAGFest, responded and says, actually, I'm organizing some panels. Uh, you know, if you're interested, I'd let, love to get you involved. So I did some back and forth with him, gave him some background on me and on the book and on what I wanted to do for a panel. And then that was pretty much it for a long time. And then I thought, okay, what do I want this to actually be? Um, so what's cool is I've actually done this this presentation before once at my day job. We had a lunch and learn a couple of years ago where the idea is that different employees from the company will spend uh, an hour or whatever with a group eating lunch and then going through a presentation about a subject that they really like. It could be something relating to our job or it could be something related to their personal life. And I wanted to do one about the book. Somebody nominated me to do one about the book. Um, This is back when I was still really in the trenches of working on it. So I put together this presentation and it went over really well at work. So and I ended up using some of that for this one itself, just making it much more specialized and focused and taking out a lot of the a lot of the more basic things that I would have to share for my coworkers. Yeah. But yeah, it was uh, overall went really well. I winged the presentation. I didn't actually know. I didn't. I, I knew what order, of course, the slides were going to be in, but I didn't say my, what I was going to say out loud a single time before I went there. And I'm pretty sure I made at least one mistake when I was speaking about something because I said NBA Jam was the first arcade basketball game of all time, which I 100% know is not true considering <laughs> I talked about several others in the book. Yeah. And uh, somebody else from MegFest caught that and was like, I'm not so sure about that. It's like, no way I meant to say that. I'm not sure if I said that. Maybe I did. It's very plausible that I rambled and started talking about it being the first one ever, even though it wasn't. But no, the presentation went over great overall. So I'm really happy about that. And it's very, again, again, very gratifying. And you know what I did mention before is that a couple of people actually came up to me with copies of their own. Like they had copies from before that they wanted me to sign. Other oh. people brought copies for me uh, out of my backpack uh, as we were leaving. Uh, but a couple of people came up with copies that, yeah, they'd already bought. They wanted me to sign. And that was wild. I was like, wow, this is really a thing. Like this is – we don't know each other at all. You know, we're not – you know, I didn't ask you to do this. Right. So this is crazy. <laughs> so, no, it was wild. No, MAGFest was great. It was actually my second convention. First one wasn't as successful, but it was still a really fun time. 
I love that. I um, your, your story about making a mistake reminded me of a presentation I gave one time at a it was a grade school. I had really no connection to the school whatsoever, but they asked me to come in. They're like, the kids would love if there was a game designer here. Maybe you could show them your code, show them the game running, that kind of thing. And I said, I'll do you one better. I will set up a program that I will make just for this night. We'll run it on the projector. The kids can play with multiple controllers. It, it actually was a very cool thing, but I, I got cocky and I started trying to let the kids manipulate the code. And I made an error in my own code that a parent caught. And I've never been so upset. <laughs> wow. As, what as a, parent it. Wow. Did you, did you know this person otherwise? Uh, absolutely not. This was a parent of a kid who was just standing there. And he ha- clearly happened to be a coder. And he goes, I, I think you... Uh, uh, left a line commented out there and uh, that'll make it run. And I, I almost punched him. <laughs> wow. Oh God. Flexing at the, uh, at the school presentation. Wow. He was a hundred percent right. And I was angry anyway. <laughs> that's terrible. Well, I'm sorry. That, that was, that's a tough moment to go through. Yeah. Especially if you spent so much effort, if you were, if you're invested in it from a time perspective and you're like, you know, emotionally you want to do something cool. Yeah, that part really sucks. I'm sorry, dude. That's rough. No, it, it was. I, I had a sense of humor about it, but I gave the guy a hard time, and we all had a, a good laugh about it. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it's just a funny thing. Right um, when you're right there, you're just yeah. Somebody points it out. Well, it's like okay, you're right. You know, it doesn't make me feel any better though. <laughs> yeah, give me a hint next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you just whisper in my ear. Text it to me. Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CAPITAL and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CAPITAL and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CAPITAL and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CAPITAL and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. <laughs> so, I'm on Twitter do, minding my business. Well, not, I'm never minding my business when I'm on Twitter, but I'm on Twitter. Got you. Yeah, you should never mind your business. Huh? Come on. <laughs> and I see our takes on everything. By the way, I'm not just kissing your ass or anything, but God, I, some of the lines you deliver are just crazy good. So I, I spend too much time on it is the problem. <laughs> I enjoy your takes. I enjoy your takes. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, it's no problem. I, I see our buddy Tim Kitzrow. And uh, what is he doing? But he is singing your praises to a uh, WWE uh, superstar on his uh, web show podcast. I wasn't actually entirely sure what it was, but my mind was blown when I saw this. So tell me what that was. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I mentioned that I did another convention before MAGFest. Uh, So this was the Cleveland Gaming Classic. Uh, Really good folks. Um, It was a good time. Uh, Book sales didn't really materialize over there. And there was this is like this is by the way the first week that the books came out. Oh yeah. So I was trying to coordinate with my publisher of like, okay, and am I going to be able to get these physical books in time for this convention? And thankfully I was. So the first ever copy I signed was at that convention. Um, but yeah, the convention, Tim was over there uh, across the just across the hallway from me. 
hung out for a spell, and uh, I got to do a Q&A interview with them uh, on stage. And by stage, I mean it was in this really noisy arcade. I mean, God, actually on one side there was cabinets. On the other side there was like an N64 and a whole bunch of other games set up. So like people were playing Blitz, people were playing uh, Mortal Kombat 4 and NBA Jam and God, a bunch of other games too. Hmm. Uh, I forget them offhand. Anyways, and I'm trying to do an interview with Tim Kitzer over here and you can't really even hear us talk. Hmm. Um, but on that, that weekend, uh, yeah, I got to spend some time with Tim and he got to see the book for himself the first time. So I started talking to him right when the project began, of course, and you know we'd been corresponding for years, but that was the first time that we've really got to. Uh, it was the second time we met, but it was the first time that he got to hold the book and see that this is a real thing, yeah. and I think that really solidified it for him that wow, okay, this guy actually finished this thing and it's a real project, and you know it looks like it's pretty good. So he and I talked, and uh, my buddy Derek and I. And Tim all went out for Mexican food later that, that day, which was great. Having dinner with the NBA Jam voice was pretty wild. I mean, at that point, I'm transitioning less from my journalist role to more like, okay, I'm just, yeah, dude, another guy at the convention hanging out with Tim Kitzrow. Yeah. Um, but that was one weekend. And then the following weekend was Survivor Series, and that was in Chicago. And Tim was doing something as part of, I think, WWE Watch Along, something like that, where he was going to do some stuff with some other WWE uh, superstars and uh, one of them was Xavier Woods who he then uh, teamed up with again for that podcast that they did so yeah Xavier Woods has something called up up down down super cool YouTube show and you know he does different I don't actually I'm not even sure he does long I don't think he does long plays but he definitely plays with different wrestlers mm-hmm. uh, on different games and he'll do interviews from time to time and things like that and he had Tim on the weekend after. So I was thinking, man, one weekend, you know, you're hanging out with the coolest people in the world, me and my buddy Derek at this Cleveland gaming convention. And the next weekend, you're at WWE Survivor Series. I mean, it's a step down, but I'm glad you're, you know, you're staying busy though. And uh, <laughs> he was, uh, but no, I really appreciate what he did, man. And Xavier Woods is a cool guy too. Uh, I reached out to him. I sent him a copy of the book too. So I hope he pays attention to that. I hope he, um, he got it. Um, but yeah, no, when Tim did that whole rundown of it, that was just a week removed from when he had the book in his hands for the first time. And it was really good of him to do that. Um, I mean, both from the, obviously from the marketing standpoint, I was like, wow, this is great. This is so cool that it's out there. But on the other hand, I was like, that's so cool that, you know, this, uh, he really came through. I mean, that Mexican restaurant dinner that we had was something where Tim and I got to know each other a little bit more and, uh, Started to become our relationship started to become less about the book because of course the book's out at that point, and you know more just talking about who we are in life and whatnot. And it's like, wow, my buddy Tim from the Mexican restaurant dinner, yeah, he's <laughs> plugging the, the book on uh, up, up, down, down. So that was amazing. I was really happy with that, and I hope, uh, yeah, I hope it gets out there more because of it. So that was that was wild, man. And that was so fun to see. And I, I even shared that over on Facebook and almost nothing makes it over to my Facebook. But uh, I want to sing this praise for Tim also, because as most people have put together by now, he does the intro for most episodes of the podcast. He uh, recorded mine. I wasn't special. This is just a service he, he just offers. He recorded my intro about the same time he was working with id on the Rage 2 Easter egg track and hit his estimated deadline that he would send it to me. And it was incredible quality. Like he just, he's a busy guy. He keeps active and he's this incredible professional. It's just awesome. He's crazy, man. No, his, uh, he's, he's, he really is a a special person in that way. In terms of talent and professionalism, he's on another level. I, uh, I think I included this detail in the book, but Trey Smith, who produced the 2010 version of NBA jam for EA sports, he, he was talking to me about how professional Tim was and how much he loved working with him. And he said that Tim's voice cracked one time, one time in all the hours. I don't know if it was dozens. It was probably dozens of hours, if not hundreds, that they spent on that game. Yeah. And, you know, he Tim had this whole routine where he would always be drinking his tea and he would be wearing a scarf. You'll always see him with a scarf on. I think that's to protect his voice. Mm-hmm. And um, he's such a professional that – you know, a part of me was like, okay, this seems like, you know, you don't need – now, keep in mind, I'm a total layman when it comes to voice acting 
or doing anything like this. So this is totally like the peanut gallery opinion. But I was like, do you need to do all this stuff to maintain your voice? <laughs> and then I care about Tim's quality and what he does and his output. And knowing that he does that for you is not surprising. Um, and then I was like, yeah, actually, that was a terrible opinion that I had that he shouldn't be doing all these things because he clearly should because he's succeeding so well. So, no, he's incredible. And he's such a gem of a character, too. I mean, he's the one person in the book who you can see have some really high highs and then also some really low lows. Uh, well, actually, come to think of it, you can see with Termel to a degree, too, but Tim's are more dramatic and more uh, relating to NBA Jam specifically that it's just weird to think that yeah, this guy who's responsible for some of the most iconic commentary in any video game ever was a, was almost cut from the roster from uh, yeah, not cut from the roster, cut from the development of the home game over three thousand dollars. So right, he himself is just such a fine and what a story, what a life that guy's had. And he's the kind of guy who, if we found out the best of his career hasn't happened yet at all, I would not be surprised in the slot. I'd be almost more surprised if it wasn't ahead of us. Neither. He's just got that kind of talent. Absolutely. I keep hoping that he's going to find the right outlet for him. I mean, he really deserves to have a bigger platform than he does. But the big thing would be him finding a way to channel that. Because now I say this with all the love of my heart for NBA Jam. I mean, obviously, I wrote a whole book about it. I love Midway. But if Tim wants to get to that next level or wanted to be out there, he would probably have to do something else or add to his repertoire in some way. You know, maybe do something where, you know, you get to know his personality a little bit more, like his own podcast or his own show of some kind. He needs to be like a Bill Nye for video games or something, something like that. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, he's he's a super talented guy. Very quick. He always would be coming up to me with these ideas. He would say, oh, you know, how about an NBA Jam sneaker or, or an NBA Jam energy drink, you know, <laughs> NBA Jam this, NBA Jam that. Something that would not necessarily be NBA licensed, but that could be re- leveraging those same ideas from NBA Jam. You know, the boom shakalaka, he's on fire, motifs, all that stuff. And yeah, yeah. he's always coming up with new stuff. And his, actually his voice resume is out there somewhere. So I can, I can send this to you afterward uh, through DM. But there's a spot where you can go in and listen to Tim do all these different radio spots if, in different voices for different products, like some lighthearted, some serious. Like you'll hear him as the voice of one of those med- medicine commercials where they talk very seriously oh, yeah. about the side effects. And um, yeah, he's just an, just an incredible professional who just – I don't know why he doesn't have much more of a following. Yeah, I, but that said though, I wouldn't be surprised though if he could do more. I feel like he's gathering momentum. I can kind of feel it. Yeah, I hope so. I, I mean, I know that this book is just one small part of the puzzle, but I hope that somehow this contributes to his le- legend growing. And like, as you know, you see the story of this guy who is so talented, but never really got to have that financial gain that those other people did. And even though he's iconic, in some ways he's totally overlooked. I hope that something like that gets to boost his reputation, but I know he's got more in him. He just needs to find out what that is. Absolutely. Um, Since we're kind of touching on some things that are in the book, what's something that people, is there anything that people continue to sort of bring to your attention? Like I read this part and I couldn't believe it. Oh man, that's a good, that's a good question. And even if the answer is no, that says something great about the book because everyone's taking something different. You know? Yeah, no, what's cool is that I, one of the things I like to do is a little exit survey. I said, if you read the book, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Honestly, for better or worse, hearing that feedback is always good. Yeah. Um, one thing that's killing me right now, so over on Goodreads, there's 48 reviews of NBA Jam, which is fantastic, or 49, oh, yeah. which is crazy good. I mean, the book just came out three months ago, and I've already got a ton of reviews. But the lowest reviews I've got are th- four three-star reviews. Everything else is five stars, and then the rest are you – know, most are five stars, some four stars, and then four three-star reviews. And I'm like, okay – Tell me what I did wrong. Like, what was it missing? What did it need? Give me yeah. some feedback. And there's no feedback, just the rating. And oh, I'm like, no. <laughs> oh, it kills me. Oh, yeah. No, it's like, I'm, I mean, negative feedback isn't the worst thing in the world in some ways. I mean, it's just a reality. Not everybody's going to like everything. You can go on YouTube and there's a video of, you know, calming white noise and that there's like 42,000 downvotes. Downvotes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, wow, what, what did this calming white noise do to 42,000 people? Must have done something. I didn't fall asleep. Yeah. Um, dude, seriously, after this, go look. Just find a random YouTube video, like a calming air conditioner noise or <laughs> a white noise. 
And yeah, there's going to be tons of doubt involved. So there's a reality that not everybody's going to like it, but no, the reception's been fantastic. Specific takeaways people have had. Um, I've heard a lot about how surprised that they were, how, how interesting the story was, because I think some people just probably, I mean, the reality is they picked it up because of the nostalgia, or they sure. say, oh, I liked NBA Jam, let me give it a shot. And that was, of course, that's my entrance, is to be like, okay, you like NBA Jam? Great, give this a shot. And then they actually read it and they say, wow, there's some really interesting people over here and new information. And there's a whole story. You know, there's a whole rise and fall of Midway. There's all those little mini stories that happen with the serial characters and uh, the fans of NBA Jam and all this other stuff. So I, I keep hearing that, yeah, it's more interesting than they thought it would be or it's actually really compelling. You don't need to know arcade games or basketball or anything like that in order to enjoy it, which is a huge compliment. Otherwise, as far as content of the book goes, across the board, I've had some people that really love – the idea of being able to go in and see what that first night on test looked like for NBA Jam, mm-hmm. you know, what it looked like in that arcade in Chicago, which was actually an excerpt that has been available online for like two years now. But it, it's revised for the book, of course, and it's uh, fresh enough for the book. But it's cool to hear that, you know, people love that. They also love hearing about Tim Kistrow's life and how interesting Mark Tremell is. I had a friend whose favorite part, at least that's my, my takeaway of his favorite part, is uh, about NBA Jam Triple X with he's on <laughs> fire and get that shit out of here. And yeah. That's Johnson. And he was telling me that he was reading the book uh, with his uh, infant daughter. I think she was like sleeping on his lap or sleeping on his shoulder. And he got to, you know, he's on fucking fire. And then he <laughs> pulled me in his laughter and he didn't want to wake her up because he thought it was so funny. And I thought that was great. That's uh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. No, I've heard a lot of stuff. Probably the bit, yeah, the, the broader takeaway is that it's more interesting than they thought it would be. And that, this is something that can appeal to people who don't even necessarily care about NBA Jam, which I take as a huge compliment if you care to keep reading, even if you're like, I could not care less. So right. I would not mind that. Part of the magic of this, this is a type of content that there is a good audience for almost regardless of the game. So, I mean, if you look at this in terms of being a game postmortem, uh, there is a big following for that. And I routinely read... Uh, content like that about games where if there's no dramatic element whatsoever, I swear if it's a story of like, here was the publisher, here were the key people, here's what they did, here's what the schedule looked like, it can be as plain as that. I think it's fantastic to read as a developer. And I feel like even if I wasn't, it would be pretty interesting. We know several author friends who have done a great job incorporating that that drama back into it. Our friend David Craddock has done a phenomenal job of that. Our buddy Blake J. Harris is reaping the rewards of that as we speak. Uh, he's going to premiere his documentary at South by Southwest soon. I could not be happier for him. The people who have taken the time to weave those stories, I mean, it, it's just dynamite when it comes together. Absolutely. And the thing is that, that NBA Jam is just one of a gazillion possible stories, uh, especially from that era. I mean, like even stop at like let's say 2010 from 1990 to 2010 i bet there's so many incredible stories that have not even been touched like they haven't even scratched the surface absolutely and when i think about how many great games came out of that time uh, okay you can just go through these catalogs and catalogs of amazing games and then only a handful of them have anything beyond hey you know the game came out this is the kind of reviews it got you know this is the quality of the game nothing really about the development of the game and I'm hoping that also to some degree that there's going to be other people out there that really start getting into 90s history. They probably will as the 90s become, you know, they go further back and as, you know, people start having more ideas. But no, there's, there's some, there was something a lot of fun about being able to tell a story and being able to go back in time and to kind of pretend that you're in the 90s again or in the 80s uh, or in the early 2000s or whenever you're writing a book about. But putting together a story for this kind of project is tough, but it's so rewarding and yeah, like those guys you mentioned, such talented dudes. Uh, David Kushner is another great, great author. Absolutely. Um, a big fan of Masters of Doom. He wrote a really great st- uh, story about Flappy Bird. Did you ever read his Flappy Bird story for Rolling Stone? I read the Doom book. I did not read that. So the Flappy Bird story was very different because it was about a game that was that point. For me, Masters of Doom was something I just read. I think it was two years ago or a year or so ago. <coughs> Excuse me. It's probably two years ago now because I remember – it being a huge inspiration for my own book. Uh, but Masters of Doom came out long after Doom had been popular. Whereas this Flappy Bird story was written just as Flappy Bird was still really on the top of the world. <laughs> and it goes to, I think it's to Vietnam 
to meet the creator. And it's more just a profile of the creator, not a huge narrative or anything. But it's still really well done, and it's super cool to you know see somebody traveling all that way to, to hang out with the creator of a mobile game to talk about how huge it is and why he wants it off the market. So I was going to say right after he wanted nothing to do with uh, the public eye. <laughs> Poor guy. Wow. When you think about that, it's, I mean, there's people would kill for that. People would kill for just a crumb of attention that Flappy Bird got. It's wild. That's what I mean, was so magical about that story to me was yeah. because I, I know that struggle. I, I know so many people who know that struggle. They work, they'll go their whole lives without having any sort of success at that level with the game. And he made, I liked the game. I thought it was a fun little thing. I, I happened to be okay at it, but the, the, the difficulty of it and the simplicity frustrated people. And they went, why does this guy get to be this successful? And I'm sure he didn't understand that. He just went, I, I made a very simple thing. I, put little tiny ads on it and I hope you guys like it. And the entire world wanted them to die. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's why, I mean that whole thing that's yeah, that's just a crazy story. The way you tell it right there. Yeah, <laughs> man. What a, I want, yeah. I wonder what his ideal flappy bird scenario would have been as like right. what the proper level that we would have still been enjoying flappy bird. If it made $15 a month, Exactly. And, and yeah. not a dime more. He would have had the greatest life. <laughs> like, yeah, he would have yeah. felt so good about that. And I would too. I would go, look, this thing pays my, uh, you know, pick a, a cheap bill and that pays for that right. bill every month. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. And yeah, it could be the, the fast food bill. Actually, probably wouldn't cover, it might cover a little bit. But yeah, Flappy Bird for fast food. And then lo and behold, <laughs> I mean, when Flappy Bird became so huge, I honestly started confusing with Angry Birds because Angry Birds yes. was such a huge thing and now i see angry birds merchandise everywhere and just flappy bird could have been the next angry birds which is crazy to say and yeah he just ended up saying you know what fuck it i don't want to do it this is ruining uh, this killing people's productivity so get rid of the game and now there's a gazillion clones out there so what a what a wild story man he just got lucky i mean i don't think he just got lucky actually i think it was just right you know I'm, I wonder who played it. I would really be curious as to like the forensics of that, you know? Yeah. Like back through like, okay, who made flat, like who was the person that played Flappy Bird or shared the story about Flappy Bird that like in the first place that really got it to take off. There's got to be something interesting there too. Some YouTuber tipped everybody off to this or something. Probably. Yeah. And that guy's like, God damn it. Like my, I didn't even monetize my video. And meanwhile, Flappy Bird is taking over the world. Right. Yeah. Some guy out there. Yeah. I bet that's what happened. <laughs> there, there could be even more to this story, but uh. yeah. All right, let's do it. Yeah. Um, you the and investigative me. team is on the case. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, yeah. All right, yeah, we're going to be starting up a Patreon just for this. Are you ready for it? <laughs> Here it comes. Support our quest for knowledge. <laughs> Bird two potentially. Yeah, send us to Vietnam, please. Speaking of travel, are you going to do some more events? Definitely want to do some more events. So yeah, I did the one. So I'm based out of Columbus, Ohio, just for context over here. Mm -hmm. um, but I traveled over to Cleveland for rather Cleveland Burbs. So that last one, that was cool. Then uh, we're not for that last one, for that first one that I did. And then MAGFest was in National Harbor, Maryland. That was like a seven-hour drive away. But it was totally worth it. Um, that was the D.C. area. Definitely want to go to a few more places in 2020. I want to go to... Chicago for sure. Chicago's like on my – I absolutely must go to Chicago at some point. Yeah. If you feel right. I mean I know there's an audience over there. There's the Galloping Ghost Arcade. I can do some really fun stuff. I really want to go to Seattle too at some point. If not in 2020, then in 2021. Nice. For the Sonic stuff. Plus I'm a big fan of Seattle. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll make it a vacation. I'm definitely planning on going to Portland too. So hopefully I can figure out something to go to, to get to Portland this year. Um, Denver is another one I'd love to go to, uh, Minnesota. I've got a buddy in Minnesota, uh, in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area who wants to set up a, uh, set up something where I can do some kind of reading someplace. So I don't quite know what I do with that, but I definitely want to do a lot of events. So yeah, I've got all kinds of places in mind. Chicago is going to be great. Don't, don't bother with St. Louis. I will come to you in Chicago. Uh, my wife loves Chicago, so we'll probably both go. That'll be oh, great. God. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would love for that to happen. Yeah, Chicago is so cool. There's so much stuff, uh, obviously, to do in Chicago. And when it comes to video game history, obviously, you've got all the Midway history. Plus, you've got 
you know, things like Galloping Ghost Arcade that are still, yeah. you know, that's still out there and just crushing it and all these other uh, neat things out there too. Yeah, no, Chicago is fantastic. And I mean, I definitely want to do something in Chicago. Plus you've got the Bulls thing with NBA Jam. Yeah, you do. Which is just another level. So yeah, definitely want to travel more. Um, as far as places that are totally confirmed, I don't have anything just yet, but Portland, Chicago, um, Minnesota, California Extreme, maybe next year in the San Francisco Bay Area. Definitely mm-hmm. want to go to that. Or maybe that's San Jose. I don't quite know. Yeah, I definitely want to do something like that. But as far as this year, though, Chicago's like got to be number one on the list. I love it. That's good news for me. Yes, man. No, I don't know absolutely. if anyone else cares. I like that. Yeah. No, no, no. These are fun. They're so much fun, too. I mean, the thing is that, you know, the story of NBA Jam, like now that it's getting out there more, you can see just how much it's impacted people or rather the games impacted people. Like all these people that come together. I mean, I had like the, the audience that I had last time was great. I uh, had different kinds of questions from different kinds of people. And I'm starting to see how much of an impact it had across demographics. And that's really it's so much fun to be able to talk about this game and make it feel like it's new again in some ways when you're sharing the story, like that's all new information. So yeah. it, it's, it's so exciting and it's, it is a blast to be doing all this stuff. I feel just so lucky just to be able to talk about NBA jam and have a, an incentive to go out someplace and talk to strangers about NBA jam. That's pretty cool. Sharing the good word. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are becoming very well known. You have about twice the size following of NBA Jam itself on Twitter. <laughs> I just noticed that the other day. That's so strange. <laughs> this is really crazy to me. Yeah, how it's taken off to the point where, yeah, the, I could have sworn that NBA Jam Twitter account had way more. Like at NBA Jam, like those guys are just sitting on that. Even if EA isn't doing anything with it, they've got to at least update it or do something. It'd be nice. Yeah. No, it's uh. It's weird seeing my star rise. I know that, I mean, I, I've got a lot more left in the tank when it comes to projects like these. Um, hopefully, I've got another project in the works coming up. Um, we should probably talk about it sometime. And um, I dare say we'll have you back. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I'd be into that. Yeah, I've got all these different things going on. But, you know, when I was younger, I always wanted to be a writer or rather wanted to be an author for a living and do some kind of writing for a living. And I'm not there yet, but I'm closer than I was before. Yeah. And I've got so much left in the tank. I mean, I want to do all kinds of stuff after this. I've got plans to do novels and comic books and this and that and ideas that I've really hashed out of my head for a while. Whether they all materialize the way that I think they will is a different thing. But yeah. um, just having this opportunity is crazy. So it's weird, man. Just seeing, yeah, like the book get out there and people talk about it like that coworker of mine. That was so weird to me. In fact, that felt way weirder to me than Tim Kitzer talking to Xavier Woods. Like, when the <laughs> stopped me, I was like, oh, okay. We have no reason to talk otherwise, and you heard me on a basketball podcast. Then it must be doing something. <laughs> it's The reason that was surreal to me was when I was talking to my wife, you know, that video was available, and I was like, oh, you know, that buddy of mine I, I talk about who I chit-chat with and stuff. And she goes, yeah, how's he doing? I said, well, here's this video, and they're talking about him. Amazing. Amazing, <laughs> man. Amazing. I'm – I'm so hardened because I actually uh, I have a family member of mine who uh, I just recently learned about this. Now I know he loves me and I love him very deeply, and I'm assuming it was all in good faith. But he said to me just recently, he says honestly, I thought you know you working on this book was a waste of time. And, oh boy! <laughs> um, and I was I wasn't quite sure as to like it was because it took four years. He thought I should take it one or two, um, or because it was about a video game. Um, yeah. Because he's not really plugged into it at all. He just doesn't get it. He's an older family member of mine. And it's so amazing to be like, well, now you can see. You know, you've got people that are from across the world that are talking about this game and are reaching out about it and reminiscing. And all the interest in the book that's that's come because of that. So that part is so gratifying. It's weird, though. Like, you know, he's he's understanding. Like, And I was like, this game was huge. He was like, okay, sure. But, you know, when I try to, I try to put it in layman's terms by saying it's made three times the amount of money that Jurassic Park did in 1993. And that <laughs> Jurassic Park was so big that they named it an NBA team after something in the movie. Yes, indeed. That was so huge. And NBA Jam made triple that. So in some ways, I'm not surprised at all that the audience is still out there because 25, or rather now 27, close to 27 years ago, wasn't that long ago. And all those people out there that loved it probably could find reason to love it again, man. Absolutely. And in a twisted way, 
Well, I mean, for one thing, I, I know that relative was trying to say something heartfelt and he was probably just being more honest than most of our relatives are about these things. I think it's an easy thing to think like, oh, Todd's wasting his time or Rayon's not doing what he could be. And it's nice to find opportunities to go back and say, hey, look, I, you know, here's a nod from uh, Shaq and here, you know, here's, right. yeah. here's the book doing well and stuff. And we absolutely. sort of owe our families that like here, your support was not wasted, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, he's been very supportive the whole time. I mean, he's not really ever said a negative word about it. Sure. Um but yeah, it was just so gratifying to be like, okay, now you can see like eat don't don't eat a whole lot of crow, but just like eat a little crow so I can like feel that validation of like, yes, <laughs> I knew it. I knew there was something over here. I knew it was worth four years. But what's strange about this too is that I you know, I started working on this back in June 2015. And being over here now, that part is particular, uh, particularly weird. Like just thinking like, man. Like what I'm doing now today is all was all built on a foundation four and a half years ago. I mean, that was longer than I spent in college or in high school. It's just very yeah. strange how long ago that was, even though it wasn't really all that long ago in the grand scheme of things. But no, it's uh it's good finally having it out there. It's weird and I know though that this has a lot more left in the tank. There's all kinds of things I can do with it. And when it comes to writing it, there's all kinds of other stuff that I want to do too besides this. Absolutely. And now everybody can just just sample some crow. Yes, exactly. Just taste. Yeah, just just that grocery market thimble full of crow. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There'll be somebody over there in an NBA jam, the book apron. A very nice fellow. <laughs> With the Dimatap cups. <laughs> yeah. That guy's handing out little bits of crow and say, this is you see this book. And this was a thing. This guy actually spent four years writing a book about the video game where the announcer goes boom shakalaka. This guy devoted his time and his effort um, and all this to it. And yeah, it's turned out pretty well. So that part's very heartening. And you know what, what's satisfying about it too is that this is the third book that I've tried. I uh, pitched two music books and they were both rejected. And I knew I could definitely do one at some point. Like in, my, in, some, in some ways it was like, oh, wow, doing a book is so hard. Yeah. But in other ways it's like, you know, if you're like, I really want to do this and I want to see it all the way through, then it's just a matter of time and the things falling into place. So it was really validating knowing that I had two failed projects before this, and it was, then I got this one. So at the time, of course, I was really heartbroken that both those two books were rejected right out the gate. But now I'm like, it feels more validating now that I had two failures to see one that's such a big success by comparison. Absolutely. So yeah. uh, I, I know it's not done and I know you're not done. So uh, I, I know we're all very excited to see what's next. Let people know where they can follow and uh, find you and I'll, I'll get you out of here. Yeah, man. I'm uh, I'm over at, at NBA jam book on Twitter and Instagram. Come follow me. If you like, especially if you like Capcom art, that's been my thing lately. <laughs> I love that Capcom art. Yeah. And people love it too. I mean, it gets such a great response that I'm like, okay, if you guys dig it, I'll keep posting it. Yeah. Um, I've got all these amazing pieces still left in the bank. Um, but yeah, come over there and hang out, talk about NBA jam and old games and nineties basketball. There's so much fun material out there that's tangentially related to NBA jam, like arcade culture and, you know, nineties NBA culture and all the stuff that I really have a blast on, on Twitter and Instagram right now. So yeah, come check me out. But otherwise you can uh, just Google NBA jam book and you'll find boss fight books, um, which is the, which is my publisher selling the book on the site. They've got it on there in the digital formats for all the different readers or in paperback. And otherwise you can go to tinyurl.com slash NBA jam book. That'll take you right over there to boss fight books, site, or you can just Google them or you can go support my, my friend. Uh, he's a struggling businessman. Uh, have you ever heard of Jeff Bezos? <laughs> We've not met, but we have some mutual friends. Okay. Yeah. So he's really on the come up. You got to keep an eye on this guy. He might be able to do something with his life. I'm not quite sure. One to watch. Yeah, one to watch in 2020. Keep an eye on that. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, you can you can check it out on Amazon, uh, NBA Jam. The book's on there too. I think I've got 26 reviews, and I am so psyched about all of them. Um, all the reviews have been very kind, and all the reviewers, I must say, have been very kind too. Um, thank you to all those uh, review fairies out there too. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's it's been great. So yeah, just Google NBA Jam the book, follow along, and then yeah, just. Uh, Man, keep supporting Todd's stuff. Todd's uh, Todd's up to all kinds of cool stuff. What you got going on, Todd? 
Oh boy, this so this podcast. Uh, I think we've got down to a science at this point. Uh, we have a little Patreon community that loves to hang out and chit chat about this stuff. They get a bonus show each month, and uh, I'm I'm trying my hand at some writing stuff right now, seeing what might uh, have legs, as they say. And uh, I'm definitely going to get a few more projects like that out the door this year. Excellent. So. What kind of writing are you doing? You know what? I have always wanted to try my hand at some screenwriting. I don't think I'm at a point in my life where I could necessarily sell a pilot and then go work on a show. I don't know mm-hmm. if that would really fit into my life, but I would love to get maybe a movie made one day. And so I'm just learning the craft and seeing what I might be able to pull off. That's fantastic. Are you using any kind of specific programs or like reading any books right now? Like, Are you just using a Google Doc or Microsoft Word or something like that? Fair question. So in the last year, as I've sort of been investigating this, I've learned about the, I think it's called the fountain format, which is sort of an open screenwriting. It's almost like a programming language, but it's markup you can use for screenplays. So that's kind of neat. And then uh, during National Novel Writing Month, I failed miserably and learned about uh, Scrivener, which is actually very cool software for relatively cheap because Final Draft is going to set you back a lot of money. You may never earn it back in your entire life. So uh, Scrivener, meanwhile, is like 40 or 50 bucks per operating system, and that's a pretty fantastic deal, and I like the software a lot. You can get a demo at something like literatureandlatte.com, but if you search for Scrivener, S-C-R-I-V-E-N-E-R, uh, you can get a demo for like 30 days. So I'm going to check this out. Yeah. I like God, it. I hope they're sponsoring this podcast. God, that was a beautiful plug. That was too much, wasn't it? Yeah, they yeah. do uh, iOS as well. There's a good app. No, that's so. awesome. No, no, no. I love hearing about different kinds of software like that because stuff like that blows my mind, That thinking that they make it so easy formatting-wise because I remember when I was doing screenwriting and stuff like that when I was in high school, doing all the fo- formatting in Microsoft Word was part of the, the work. I mean, that was yeah. – that was a substantial part of it. So it's great that stuff like this even exists. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah those are my recommendations for the week. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. So we've got Aaron Hernandez, Scrivener. <laughs> um, we've got Flappy Bird go, you know, Flappy Bird 2, uh, Rayon and Todd go to Vietnam. Flappy Looking Patreon. Forward. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Keep it, keep it very busy over here. <laughs> and uh, I have no doubt you'll be back with uh, more great news for us. I hope so. I hope so. Maybe that's something that works. We'll see. Stay tuned, everybody. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. All right. Thank you, man. Congratulations on your game dev breakdown, whatever that is. Sounds idiotic to me.